Hello, and welcome back to my story, his story, our journey. This is Miss Mary here with just a few reminders. First, I would like to say thank you to all of the faithful listeners that's been following since this podcast started. I would also like everybody to welcome a new listener. I noticed in my analytics the other day that we have a listener from the United Kingdom. I'm so thankful that you're joining us on this podcast, and I want to remind all of you listeners to make sure you hit the follow button, though, so you will be notified when any episode is aired, which I air most of my episodes on Tuesday. Also, be sure to hit that share button. We would like for the Word of God and the love that Jesus Christ has for mankind to reach all over the earth, so please, please hit the share button with your family or friends or somebody that you know could use the Word of God in their life. I'm so excited about today's journey, and I hope you are. I will see you in the first part of the journey in my story. my part of the story. So I wanted to talk to everybody about what's the sin that weighs the heaviest on your heart? What's the sin in your life that makes you feel completely separated from God or Jesus as if you're never worthy of serving him? or not even worthy to actually be in his presence. I'm curious because there was sin in my life that made me at one point feel like, what could God do with me? Could I be used? Am I even worthy of being used for him and his kingdom? Well... I now, years later, know that, no, I'm not worthy, but no one is. For the Bible says, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. None are righteous, no, not one. Now, that's a hard pill to swallow for some people. They think to themselves, like, well, I'm a fairly good person. Well, we didn't say good. We said righteous. Are you righteous? And when you're comparing your life, you have to compare it to God's righteousness, not your neighbor, not your brother, your sister, your spouse. You have to compare it to God. So how does your righteousness look compared to him? Well, as it said, we all fall short. So today's story, I'm going to walk you through a story that dealt a lot with the sin that burdened me more than any in my life. And I had many, you know, and even after salvation, I can honestly say that I still struggle with sin as we all will, but we can overcome it through uh, the strength through Jesus Christ. We know that, but if you're out there and you've not accepted Christ as your personal Savior, and there's a part in your mind that says, well, look at me. Look at my life. Look what I've done. I'm just not worthy. I want you to understand 
neither were we. No one was worthy of what Christ did for them on the cross. So I want you to just examine yourself and your heart and your sin and know that whatever has been in the past, Christ can forgive and he can use you. He can use your life as an instrument for his glory. He will work things out in your life for good. Not everything will be good, but Romans 8.28 says, For we know all things work together for good, for those that love him and called according to his purpose. So I bet you're wondering, what was the sin that burdened me so? What was the sin that held Miss Mary back and made her feel like she wasn't even worthy to walk into a church, much less talk to a God of the universe? We're going to find out in his part of the story. You will see as we walk through chapter 4 in the book of John, starting at verse 1. I will walk through it, and as I walk through what is going on on this scene with Jesus, you will soon learn what Mary's sin was that burdened her and made her feel completely unworthy of Christ. Stay tuned for his story. Okay, thank you for joining me for his part of the story. Like I said, we will be traveling on a journey with Jesus in the Gospel of John, chapter 4. And I want you to know that I'm reading from the ESV version, which was the English Standard Version of the Holy Scriptures. I usually read the New King James Version, but for the listeners, it is broken down a little bit better, and you can understand it a little bit better in English. So that's what I read from when I do these podcasts. But sometimes you'll hear me refer back to the New King James for certain purposes. Um, I also want to remind you as you're listening to the story and probably figuring out what the sin was that made me feel totally unworthy to go into a church or to even speak to the living God of the universe. Um that this was an important journey that Jesus had went on. It actually ties in with out from the grave when he delayed four days before he went to the tomb of Lazarus. He said that he must go to Samaria. So this ties into that and you'll see the, the journey and why I feel like I'm so glad that Jesus made that extra stop before he got to Lazarus' tomb because it was very important in my life. I was actually saved November 4th, 1996, prior to me reading this story. I had accepted Christ as my personal Savior, and it was upon then that the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to the Scripture and allowed me to see this beautiful story unfold that actually freed me from the burden of that sin that I carried. Uh during my life. So let's get started in John 4 chapter or verse 1. 
Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So he was headed to Galilee, but in the process they were baptizing uh, people. Now John the Baptist was the one they spoke of here, and um, he actually... um, baptized people prior to Jesus's ministry starting and uh, at this point Jesus's disciples was the ones that was actually doing the baptizing but it says here and again he left um, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee and he had had to pass through Samaria now see in English Standard Version it says he had to pass through Samaria but in the New King James Version there was a an area where I read that he actually said it needs be that I go to Samaria. So he actually made a point to say that before I go to Galilee, I'm going to go to Samaria. So we could see that he had a desire to go there. And why? Why did he have to go there prior to being at the tomb of Lazarus? Because if you've heard the episode Out from the Grave, you could see in that particular um, episode that the sisters were upset that it took Jesus as long as it did. So you would have to say, well, what took him that long? And this stop in Samaria was one of those stops that he had done before he got there. So let's see what happened in Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus wearied as he was from his journey was sitting beside the well it was about the sixth hour verse seven a woman from Samaria came to draw water Jesus said to her give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food the Samaritan woman said to him how is it that you a Jew ask for a drink from me a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So at this point, we see Jesus resting. He asked the lady, could you give me a drink from this well? And she was really confused because at that time, you'd have to know the history, but Jews did not have dealings with Samaritans. Samaritans seemed back then to be the people that was out the outcast, people that the Jews looked down upon. They were almost like um, a breed of people, a mix of people of uh, different nationalities, if you would say. Um, So they actually did not like these people and they had no dealings with them because they felt that they were superior or that they were better than them. And if you've been sticking around with us and listening to these podcasts, you've noticed that Jesus has a problem with that. He usually is surrounded with people that the religious leaders would believe that he should not be hanging around or be in contact with. So he asks this lady, the Samaritan woman, to give him a drink. And she is very confused that, that he would actually ask her even, especially even being a woman, um, the disciples probably would have drew from the well and tried to have helped Jesus, but they were not there. 
So the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now this must be a confusing statement for her. Because Jesus is saying, well, if you knew who you was talking to, you would ask me for living water. So it's interesting, he changed it just from a drink of water to living water. That he had something he could offer her. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? So she's confused because she's thinking logically with her head and not understand that Jesus is speaking to her heart spiritually. So she's thinking, you don't have nothing to draw water from this well. And it's deep. So how can you offer me anything? And where would you even get living water? Because I'm not sure she understood the concept of that yet. Verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will come in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So again, he's trying to explain to her something much more deeper than a surface understanding of water. He's saying, if you drink physical water, you will always thirst again. But if you receive the water I'm offering you, what I'm trying to give to you, that spring of water will well up inside of your heart, welling up to eternal life. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So we can see she still does not understand that Jesus is offering her a need that she has. He's offering her himself, who he is, a spiritual need. You know, Jesus always referred to himself as the living water, the bread of life. Walk in the light and you shall stay in the light. There are so many names for Jesus Christ and often we overlook the fact that those think about it. We need water. We need bread and food. We need light to be able to see. He was saying to her, you have what you believe you you need, but you need me. You can fulfill all of your physical needs, but what about your spiritual need? So... She still wasn't quite understanding, but I I loved how Jesus always referred to himself as certain 
you know, uh, he is the vine and we are the branches. Okay, you can't be a branch unless you're some connected to something. So once again, a need. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now we see Jesus addressing her in her life that this man should not really know anything about. And I don't know if you've caught on yet, but yes, that would be the sin that had burdened me. For I have been married and divorced and married again and divorced. And I'm married now. And I'm married now to a wonderful, godly man that I love, that supports me, that I support. But see, when I grew up in church and I was not saved, I always remembered how God hated divorce. He hated it, understandably, because it destroys people. It's a form of sin that comes in and destroys the family unit. It leaves pain in the mother's heart, the father's heart, the children somewhat feel abandoned and confused. I come from a divorced home. I ended up having a divorced home. And the pain that you carry with you from that sin, unless you've been through it, you don't really understand. And sometimes you're always thinking like you're either stuck in an abusive relationship or... um, relationship with a husband that continually cheated on you and you know God has more grace and mercy than that you know God hates sin and he does not want divorce but it does not mean that it doesn't happen and it does not mean that he doesn't love you or you are unworthy because of what your past has happened your past is over The only thing you can do with that past is lay it at the foot of the cross, ask for forgiveness, ask him to continually help you in the future. So we see here that she understands that you would not know that about me unless she was a prophet. So now she's brought him up from a man that, a Jewish man that probably shouldn't have talked to a Samaritan woman to a man that had something to offer, but she was confused about what it was he had to offer, to now believing, well, you must be some kind of prophet, because how would you know that about my life? She says, our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming When neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So now he's talking and explaining that it's changed to a form of worship. And he says, you worship what you do not know. Because he is sitting in front of her. So who is she worshiping? He's trying to explain to her, here I am. But you're still not understanding your need for me. I've been right here with you. I'm right in front of you. I've reached out to you. But you know not what you're talking about. You don't know who you're worshiping. And when he speaks of worshiping in spirit and in truth, that means the spirit, the very spirit one receives after salvation, will illuminate your mind and your heart to understand the truth. Verse 24. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Wow. There he was. I wonder how it took her back. I wonder what she thought. How she responded. He said, who you speak of, I am. See, she'd been listening to the scriptures. She obviously knew about the Messiah that was supposed to come. She knew that he would be the Christ, the one that would come to save them from the bondage. But did she understand what bondage she was under? Verse 27, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So, she left, and she went, and she told. And she invited people to come back to see the Messiah. She still was questioning in her heart and her mind, though. She said, could this be him? But I do remember when I read this story, that I thought he went to her It was important that he go through Samaria. I'm so thankful that he did. I'm so thankful that this story was recorded because this was where I was set free and realized that my sins of the past had been forgiven and the sins that had been on me through the marriages, I had the ability to forgive because I was forgiven. So here he is in Samaria with a Samaritan woman that a Jewish man shouldn't even been talking to. Stay tuned for our journey.
Welcome back to our journey. So how does everybody feel about that story? About the Samaritan woman, the woman that was unworthy for a Jew to be around, a woman that was burdened down with the sin of her life and past. How do you feel about your sin? Did you think about the sin that so easily besets you, that holds you back or burdens you down? Have you accepted Christ as your personal Savior and asked Him to forgive you of those sins and to come into your heart and allow His Holy Spirit to lead you and direct you to live for Him? What about those that I've asked to stick around? Can you see His love for you? Can you see how He reached out over and over again to people? wanting to help, wanting to give them the ability to overcome those sins in their life. He's still here. His presence is still with you. I know if you've listened in, you've probably felt that tug on your heart. If you would like to accept Christ as your personal Savior today, all you would have to do is repeat these words. Dear Jesus, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for coming here and dying on that cross for me and for my sins. I'm thankful that you rose victorious from that grave three days later to free me from that sin. I'm sorry for the sins I've committed against you and the Heavenly Father, and I asked that you would help me repent and turn away from those sins and turn to you and live my life fully for you that you would help me overcome the sin in my life I thank you for all that you've done for me in Jesus name I pray Amen if you've repeated that the Bible says you can know that you are saved and saved eternally I pray that you've done that today. If not, I will continually pray over every listener in this podcast. I'm so thankful for everybody that joined me. Well, you know, the sin that burdened me, that made me feel unworthy, that made me feel like I was not any kind of person that should go into a church or to fellowship or worship a God, much less talk to a God that created everything. But I know now... I wasn't worthy, and that was why I needed him. I just want to read a little piece here from the commentary. It says, The woman takes Jesus literally and misunderstands him, just as Nicodemus did. In John's Gospel, Jesus frequently speaks in terms of the visible, physical world, like birth, water, bread, his body, light, to teach about the unseen spiritual world. When the woman said, I have no husband, while technically truthful, the woman's curt statement is probably intended to close the subject. But Jesus, with gentleness and compassion, reveals both her sin and his omniscient knowledge of her life, which means an all-knowing knowledge that he has over us in our lives. Notice he met with her with gentleness and compassion. 
We need to remember as we talk to people about Jesus and what Jesus did for them in their lives and their sin, that most people do know where they fall short of God's glory. Most people carry the burden of their sin and their shame around on them, and it can be painful. So let us always reach them in gentleness and compassion as he did this Samaritan woman. He said, it says, the woman had had five husbands who had either died or divorced her. When Jesus says, the one you know now, or one you, the one you now have is not your husband, he implies that merely living together does not constitute a marriage. A marriage requires some kind of official sanction and public, public ceremony at which a man and a woman commit to the obligations of marriage and the community then recognizes that marriage has begun. Though often misunderstood by Jesus' hearers, he used the use of these tangible metaphors helps the readers in John's Gospel understand its message as they meditate on the analogies between the physical reality and the spiritual truths. So he was talking to her about a spiritual truth and a spiritual need. We all need Jesus, every one of us. I pray that you know him today as your personal Savior. If not, I pray you accept him. Father God, I do pray over each person that's listening to this podcast. I pray you would touch their heart with your very spirit, that they would know that you're with them. They would know that you are speaking into their mind and their heart about the need that they have for you. Help them, Jesus. Help them see the love and the compassion that you had for them, that you gave up your own physical life in a horrible way just to reach them with the truth of their need and the gospel that you had to offer them. I thank you for listening to my prayer, but mostly for praying over all of these listeners that I can lift them up to you and that I know you will do the work that is needed. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining me today for this journey. Thank you for still allowing me to teach and to reach. I pray you stay with me and that you feel like I maybe am not worthy, but through the blood of Jesus Christ, he made me worthy to be able to continue to read his precious holy book. Thank you, and we'll see you again the next time on My Story, His Story, Our Journey.